Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education series. It's Wednesday, November 11th, 2009, at least in the United States, and our guests tonight are Alan Collins and Richard Halverson. Alan and Rich, say hi. Thank you for being here. Hi. I'm not sure we heard from Alan, but he is here. I'm glad to have him I'm here. Sure we heard from Alan, but he is here. Okay, so our topic tonight is their book. Rethinking Education in the Age of Technology, subtitled, The Digital Revolution in Schooling in America. Before we get started, I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction to the session. These sessions, the futureofeducation.com sessions, are sponsored by Illumini and the Learn Central Project. That's my day job. Learn Central is a social network for educators uh, with over 23,000 educators there now. A great place to go and uh, connect with each other. It is free. It provides you with the, the use of Illuminate for free, in both the view room and if you want to run your own webinar series, please feel free to contact me. It's a fun program and I'm excited about it. Coming up on Future of Education and Conversations.net, uh, tomorrow Larry Cuban from Stanford, who's quoted in this book, so it should be a good follow-up. Uh, November 19th, Howard Rheingold's back with Howard's Brainstorms Part 2. December 1st, Dan Willingham on why students don't like schools. December 2nd, Julie Evans from Project Tomorrow. December 3rd, Curtis Bonk on The World is Open. Anne Myers on Classroom Habitudes. December 8th, and Sherry Toledo, Web 2.0 Education Survey, December 9th. And then much, much more coming up. It's been very exciting to watch the interview series grow. Uh, lots of great people coming on. If this is your first time in Illuminate, this is a participative environment. So uh, we want to make sure that you know how to do that. The Below the participant window where you can see 103 participants who have already joined us, you can uh, use the small emoticons to uh, express yourself. There's the clapping hand. I'm going to clap right now for our speakers who are here. You can also click on the smiley face. If you're confused by something, you can use the little confused face or the thumbs down if you disagree. We don't see that often, but you're welcome to use it. Um, below the participant box is the chat area. And I'm going to make a recommendation because we have a lot of people in the room, and I think it's likely that you're going to, um, the chat will fly by fairly quickly. Go up to View Layouts and switch yourself to the wide layout, and that will make it a little bit easier to read the chat. And you can send a message to other individuals in the chat using the drop-down box, but do be aware that Alan, Rich, and I see those as moderators. There's actually no private, uh, there's no completely private messaging. Uh, those do show up for us. And if you would like to ask a question using the microphone, you can use the icon with the hand and the up arrow at the bottom of the participant window. That lets us know you want the microphone and we'll give you the mic. If you think that's the case, that you might want to ask a question, do be sure to go up to Tools Audio and run the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure that your microphone is configured for the room. Okay, now we're going to give you your first chance to participate. This should be fun tonight given the audience. Uh, click on the wand with the red dot at the end to the left of the map and then click on the map to let us know where you're listening from.
Look at that. Well, I know you have more than one in India. Looks like Japan, Australia, maybe Korea. Who's in Antarctica? That. What a lot of fun. Well, wherever you're listening in from, please feel free to put it in the chat so that others know where you're from. Um, you can put in the, the time and the temperature or the weather. That's also a lot of fun oftentimes. But we're glad to have you here. For those of you in the United States, let's have you do the same thing. Go ahead and click on this map and let us know where you're listening from. So Alan and Rich, I think you've attracted a fairly diverse group tonight. Very interesting. Good, they're all over. Okay, so I'm going to turn your uh, ability to to, um, to annotate the whiteboard off just for now. Session, and I'm going to move us forward back to our first slide. Now we do have a slide deck from. Um, from the authors, and uh, we'll go to it as we get as we need to get there. But why don't we start, if we could, uh, by having the two of you talk a little bit about what brought you to this book? What was the what was the background that led to the actual writing of the book? Well, I had been teaching a course on the history of education reform at Northwestern, and when Rich was a graduate student at Northwestern. He uh, he had been a history teacher uh, previously in a high school in Chicago, and so he offered to help me teach the course, and we reorganized the course a lot uh, since he did a lot of research to find good readings. And as we worked on the course, we decided we ought to produce a book out of it, and uh, so this is the book that came out. Yeah, it was a long time in coming too. <laughs> I I remember um, thinking as we were going through uh, uh, putting the book together, how I, I worked in a high school and how the high school didn't really take advantage of any of the more sophisticated learning technologies, but the students really did. They just didn't do it in school, and that sort of really whetted my appetite to dive into this topic with Alan and figure out. Um, what led to this? How did we get here? It's really been a fun book for me to read. Um, and as I read it, I, I kept thinking, I wonder if these chapters are actually uh, the fulfillment of class sessions. Did it end up getting organized in the same way that you taught the class? Um, no, the, the class really uh, started with Horace Mann and uh, um, the 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 first introduction of education, and then we went through Dewey and the uh, the, uh, uh, the reform toward management, and then the Sputnik era reform. So the the course sort of followed the history of American education as universal schooling came in up to the present. We did uh, take the skeptics and enthusiasts 
part of the book, mostly from Alan's and my conversations in the class where he played the role of enthusiast and I was skeptic. And so we ended up formalizing those <laughs> those roles into chapters, I think. Is that right? Well, I was interested. I'm well, sorry, was go ahead, Alan. I'm sorry, go ahead, Alan. So uh, basically, I'm not sure. I mean, basically, I was just trying to figure out what's happening here. <laughs> I'm not sure I was acting so much as a, as the enthusiast. Although I have been an enthusiast in the past. <laughs> yep. Well, I will have to say quite candidly that there, there, uh, there was a difference for me in the chapter on the enthusiast and the chapter on the skeptic. Because clearly you come at this from a point of view. And in the skeptic's point of view, I think you, you, you still kind of provided answers in that chapter. It wasn't fully a skeptic's point of view, was it? Well, the uh, the there's a section in the in the skeptics chapter on uh, why uh, school and technology don't live happily together, and that particular section was not really just the skeptics' point of view. It was more uh, our point of view on on uh, how the enthusiasts really are, are, are fighting a losing battle. Well, for me, to drill, go ahead, Rich. Well, for me, that was, that was really led to some of the more interesting um, parts of the book and areas of research is trying to figure out why we have this, this extraordinary explosion of information technologies and schools are only taking advantage of a very small section of those technologies. And to me, that was really sort of the incompatibility of the school system with the individualized capacity of, of information technologies really sort of triggered the, the, the whole rest of the argument in the book for me. Well, let's do that first, if we could. Uh, uh, what is the argument of the book? Well, I mean, the way I, I state the argument, and I'm sure Rich will have a different view, but uh, the way I see it is that that there was a revolution in education that occurred at the time of the Industrial Revolution when we went from an apprenticeship-based system of education where, uh, where parents or relatives or friends were teaching the kids how to do practical things. Uh, with the Industrial Revolution, we started into um, this universal schooling system, and uh, the this this evolved over time to the the system that we see today. It took about a hundred years, but now as we uh, as we have this technological revolution occurring, this digital revolution, that's going to have big effects on the nature of of education, but most of the changes are occurring outside of schools. And so the, the basic argument I see is that you can see the seeds of a, of, of a new education system forming, but it's mostly outside of the schools. 
And so we need to start thinking much more systemically about how to integrate all these technologies uh, into an education system that occurs not just in schools, but also outside of schools. I'd like to add to that that um, Alan's uh, description of the evolution of the current school system, particularly in the United States, but also in other parts of the world. Um, what, when we did this, when we did the research for the book, we found out that at the beginning of the public school system in the United States, it was quite flexible and adaptive to the technologies that were current at the time, like uh, information bureaucracies and textbooks and age grading and things like that. But over time, the system sort of got locked in place, mainly through because of information technologies of bureaucracy that sort of held the different pieces of the public schooling system in place. Um, then in the 50s and 60s, with the rise of, the, of new information technologies that focused learning on things like individualization and customization, the, the existing system was sort of locked into its commitment to technology, and it made it very difficult for it to change. So I was left with kind of a larger question uh, at the close of the book, which was, you know, to some degree, um, is the genie out of the bottle? Is the idea that we're going to be able to control or, or adjust the education system now really no longer the case? Will the external factors end up really deciding what happens? I don't know, Alan, you want to take that? Um, well, I guess I would say that, um, that, I mean, one of the major arguments in the book is that we're in a time of flux now, that things are changing because of all these technologies. And so um, this is the time when, as at the, as just like in the 1800s when Horace Mann and a bunch of social reformers uh, conceived of and brought into existence the schooling, the universal schooling system, um, that this too is a time when when visionaries can have big impacts because things are in flux. And so it's not at all clear where we're going to end up, but there are external forces driving change. And inevitably, those forces are going to make the schools as we know them, uh, in a, put them in a precarious position. Already, it's affecting uh, colleges that are not elite colleges. So, but I think uh, high school is in danger as more and more people uh, go online to do learning. So, uh, so it's not clear we're gonna, where we will end up, but certainly things are going to change. One thing that I think is interesting in that is um, how entertainment has taken over the development of learning technologies. Alan mentioned about how difficult uh, many students have, uh, what the difficulties many students have paying attention in high school and being engaged in high school. Those, very, those same students don't have any problems at all being engaged with uh, virtual or digital learning environments. And some people in schools might criticize things like video games or social networking as not learning at all, but it's clear that these are really powerful learning technologies. They just don't teach the things that schools value. 
And so you have this real split between innovation in information technologies for learning and in the United States a commitment to central core outcomes for schools and they seem to be running on divergent paths. It was, I think the most interesting part of the book for me was the description of why it's so hard for schools to change and this idea of a, of a inertia of a system or the, the degree to which a system ends up uh, requiring that things fit into that system. Are you willing to describe that just a little? Um, well, the, the slide, I'll bring it up, um, is partly trying to address that, the incompatibilities that, but, but um, Kayak and Cuban, and you'll have Larry Cuban tomorrow, uh, make a beautiful argument about the grammar of schooling and how, in fact, um, I mean, our book argues that what happened over time, as e each piece got put in place, um, uh, like the grading system and the testing system and the, the Carnegie units, which are the, the uh, hour-long courses in history, American history or algebra, those are called Carnegie units in, in, in education, in American education. So as those pieces got put together, they slowly formed a, a, a coherent system. And as that system became more and more coherent, it became harder and harder to change. And that's basically the argument that Tayek and Cuban make and, um, uh, and, and that we make. So, um, and furthermore, we, we argue that there are these real incompatibilities that, that school, the culture of schooling uh, sort of encourages everybody to learn the same thing at the same time, whereas technology encourages uh, customization or, or um, letting, helping people learn what they're most interested in learning and giving them the support they need. And, and the culture of schooling has sort of the notion of the teacher as the expert conveying their expertise, whereas technology offers all these diverse sources of information, which in some sense undermines the expertise of the teacher. Um, and schooling sort of depends on standardized assessment, um, whereas if everybody's off learning their own uh, their own things uh, using technology, then those standardized assessment practices just don't work. And and then then schooling emphasizes each kid getting the information into their head, whereas it, technology encourages you to to use all these different resources and be able to mobilize them to uh, accomplish different tasks. So um, my quip on all of these these contradictions is that uh, schooling, in some sense, fosters just-in-case learning, and, and and technology sort of fosters just-in-time learning. If you look at all of, look the, at all of the uh, the items on the, the you know the first part of the comparison, the incompatibilities that Alan talks about, the interesting thing for me is that schools are quite willing to adapt technologies that reinforce these priorities. So textbooks 
reinforce the uniform learning. Teacher certification programs reinforce um, teacher as expert. What we've seen in the last 10 years is just a revolution in American public schools in assessment capacity. Most schools in the United States now have student information systems and online testing systems and they're moving towards formative assessment systems, all of which reinforce the existing methods of, of instruction. But the interesting thing is that most of the interesting developments in information technologies are on the, the, on the, the right side of the comparison, the customization, specialization, you know, Google and Facebook and Wikipedia and video games, discussion boards, all of these things that schools have a very difficult time with because they can't control them and they think that students are going to abuse them, this is mainly in the K-12 world, uh, creates great problems in schools. So it's interesting for me that there are technologies that schools are, are embracing, it's just not the ones that are driving the entertainment revolution. So the thought that occurred to me was that I can remember being in the workforce in the late 80s and the moment that the the computer went from being a device in a closet that we went in and signed up for time to use for word processing to actually being a device on our desks was kind of a dramatic moment and that then once the computer was there you know it drove a lot of other change is part of this story just that we haven't had a a specific use or program that was so compelling that it would um, introduce this kind of dramatic change? Well, I, I think it's deeper than that. I think that that the, 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 the method of instruction that schools have committed to is batch processing. They want to, uh, they, you know, increasingly public schools have to guarantee outcomes for all students. And when you're in the business of guaranteeing outcomes, you need reliable, efficient methods for, to deliver instruction. And most of the information technologies that Alan and I talk about in the book that are driving the, the information revolution are all idiosyncratic based on, you know, individual interest, just-in-time learning, um, people uh, compiling networks of resources and people, uh, specialization and discourse, affinity groups. Schools have very difficult time as long as they're committed to a batch processing model of integrating those kinds of technologies. So it felt to me like there were two real threads of concern that, that wove through the book. Uh, one was for educators who weren't, weren't going to be prepared for this, and, and the other was for students uh, who might not have access to these technologies. Did, did I get that right? Well, uh, I'm very, very concerned about a number of issues. Uh, I'll put up the losses and gains slide. Um, I'm, I'm particularly concerned about is and um, whether kids are are. Uh, I mean, I actually think that the technology is making equity worse. Um, that that in fact the middle class and the elites in our societies have both the resources, the, the money to buy up these different educational resources and they also have the knowledge of what's out there. So they, they're utilizing what's happening. And, but there's a number of other kinds of things. I, I think that 
as as people sort of seek out their own education, say through homeschooling or distance education, they tend to pursue their interests or their their um, their career goals. And so issues around citizenship and social cohesion get lost. Um, it, it seems to me uh, because people aren't aren't dealing with with lots of different kinds of people. Um, and, and there's a kind of a commercialization seeping into all of education. So I think there's a lot of gains uh, that, that we get more engagement, we get sort of less competition for grades that you see in schools, uh, and, and you get more customization and, and the learners taking more responsibility. But uh, but the the losses are real and and we we need as a society to start worrying the, the about the losses them. are a little weird though. The, the um, for example, um, the issues of the digital divide. If you if you consider digital divide issues from the perspective of who has a PC or a laptop, there's still a considerable class divide on on ownership of technology. But if you if you expand that definition to mobile phones or better yet game systems most of which are fully internet capable and can allow for network um, uh, network connections. Um, the divide has almost disappeared in the United States. You have lots of people with very capable technologies that are currently used for digital learning. The issue again is in schools, the, the, the very technologies that bridge the digital divide and could address the equity issues are the ones that are banned. And it makes it very difficult. School, there's many schools in the United States now who are sort of stuck with how they're going to move into 21st century skills. On the one hand, they think, well, we have to buy all this equipment and we can't maintain it. And then some brave districts are thinking, well, what if we built our technology plan on the technologies that kids bring with them? to schools, what would that look like? What could we get out of that? And it's a brave new world because, Steve, I think as you mentioned before, the application issue is glaring. <laughs> we, we don't have yet tools. We may get them with Android. We may get them with the iPhone. But we don't yet have tools that can help teachers easily move into uh, utilizing mobile devices as classroom tools. Can I add something? that? that even though in the gaming systems we have a kind of parity uh, between minorities and and uh, and elites the the difference is that the minorities tend to buy like first shooter games whereas the elites are much more likely to buy educational games so so my uh, nieces my young nieces for instance have all these handheld devices that are, are really, uh, one is Nintendo dog where they're training dogs. So they're, they're much more likely to be buying educationally relevant resources as opposed to sh uh, shoot 'em up games. I think that's true, Alan. The, the parents are much more likely to buy the educational games, but the kids are much less likely to play them. That when, when people have done surveys about what are kids actually playing, it turns out that all teenagers either play or are familiar with Grand Theft Auto, um, boys and girls. Um, there's a couple other games that are that are very popular among among adolescents. 
Um, and educational games aren't even on the list of, of things that, that adolescents play. So I think from a parent perspective, your point is, is well taken, but from a, from a actually what do kids play perspective, it's a very homogenous world on, on the game play side of things. So I met with, uh, I was at uh, EDUCAUSE last week, which is a conference for higher ed, and I uh, got to know some folks from Columbus State University, and they're, they've built a platform for uh, an Android-based platform, so across multiple cell phone carriers, for the student information system and for class attendance and registration, and um, in a way that was very intriguing to me because it seemed as though by introducing uh, something that was administrative, it would actually open the door to other applications being built on top of it once it was ubiquitous. Does that seem like it might be a potential uh, avenue here as well? Can you take that, Rich? I, I missed part of it. I did too. I, Steve, I'm sorry to make No, you no, no. I was so looking I'll, up I'll a, stop a, making comments and I'll just keep asking questions. Okay. Well, I was at a show and saw a school, a university that had actually implemented a student information system using handheld devices for the students that was hugely popular. And it was a little bit different than I expected because what it meant was the, the cell phone that was being carried by all the students now had a very, very practical use for education. It wasn't classroom related, but it occurred to me that it could easily leap to the classroom by virtue of its being so ubiquitous for sort of regular administrative functions. Yeah, I, I think that, um, so one of the projects that I'm working on here in Madison, I, I helped start a research group called Games Learning in Society, where we try to figure out what people learn from digital media and then how you can design digital media for learning. And one of the, one of the key theories of action that we're exploring is, um, if, in order for teachers and school leaders to allow the generative use of mobile and web 2.0 technologies in schools, we have to provide tools that make sense in the context of their work. And so handheld devices that allow teachers to, for example, collect information on student learning or mobile cameras that allow them to tape examples of student learning so that they can bring them back and analyze them and understand them, those may well be bridge technologies that will shift the discourse within schools from fear to how can we capitalize on these technologies. That's a fascinating topic for me. Uh, in, your, in Chapter 5 of the book, you talk about the seeds of a new system of education, and, and you look specifically at certain developments that are taking place on the fringes that you feel are, are significant in terms of informing where we're going to go. Do you want to talk about those at all? Now you brought up the slide. I'm sorry. Um, so I can talk a bit about that. Um, so basically what we tried to do was, was list some of the things that are happening. Um, they're, they're, they're real growth industries in, in, in America. And uh, over the last 30 years, approximately, I missed what you said, Steve. Um, and uh, so, so, uh, so for example, homeschooling uh, has, I mean, the last survey by the Department of Ed, it was growing at about 29% a year. 
and the the kids are using uh, a lot of technology in in homeschooling now, and so um, it's it's uh, uh, and they're they're uh, using the web to do exercises and and uh, um, so and and the homeschoolers in some sense um, the parents encourage the kids to pursue their own interests so so um, so homeschoolers do well on tests when they're tested and uh, they it's it's not a I worry about homeschooling in a lot of ways, particularly because uh, it's not it's not addressing uh, you know citizenship issues so much, and it's not addressing uh, it, it's leading people to go off into their own social niches. But but aside from that, so workplace learning is using a lot of simulation now. So for example, Canon Copier has a system where um, uh, people where they set faults in different copying machines and have the technicians try to to uh, diagnose the faults. And Cisco, for instance, has people trying to configure networks under different situations. So there's lots of examples of of simulation systems that are used for workplace learning these days. Northwestern, by the way, has produced a company that produces a lot of these things. Uh, called cognitive arts. Distance education has been spreading uh, heavily at the college level. The University of Phoenix is way up toward 200,000 students now, and a lot of those are distance ed students um, or partial distance ed students. Um, but the, there's virtual high schools in practically every state. Uh, and uh, I mean, so like Utah has 35,000 distance ads in their virtual high school in Florida, up over 20,000. So, so, um, so distance education is is really expanding heavily at the high school and the college level, and I think it threatens a lot of colleges. Adult education has been growing a lot over. Uh, so we have uh, adult education centers in practically every town, and universities are are, are sponsoring adult education courses, and and uh, um, often for retired people. And they have these learning trips all over the place. So so that's a big growth industry. Learning centers like Kaplan and Sylvan are, are have really those are two of the fastest growing uh, companies in America, and they are. I think ultimately learning centers could be competitors with high schools. Um, if uh, uh, so, so these are uh, are a threat in some sense. But again, it's the elites that are sending their kids to learning centers. Um, educational television has really expanded. Uh, um, in the children's the whole uh, PBS schedule is 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 um, educational uh, during the day, and the videos uh, uh, are often linked to particular shows, and and really young kids are watching huge numbers of of educational videos now. But that's again just among the elites, pretty much. 
the computer-based learning environments, they come in all sorts of flavors. The, the handheld games we've talked about and the, uh, the um, uh, there's, uh, Carnegie Mellon has a bunch of, uh, of uh, uh, computer tutors that they put out. There's, there's, um, uh, I like to tell the story of uh, John Seeley Brown who wrote an article for Wired called World of, uh, if you play World of Warcraft, you're hired because he thinks that, that people are learning all sorts of entrepreneurial skills from these multiplayer games. And, uh, and so he thinks they may be the leaders of the future. The web communities you see, uh, it's what Rich referred to as affinity groups. Um, but uh, in, in the book, we talk about uh, a couple of kids that, that join these adult communities. One uh, was studied uh, by a professor at Stanford um, who was looking at self-directed learners. And she told the story of Stephanie, who was uh, an Asian-American kid in middle school who got interested in, in making web pages. But then she found this website called Zanga.com where she uh, could, which was made up of digital artists. And so she was learning the techniques of digital art from participating in that community. The technical certifications are have been, uh, Cisco has maybe the most elaborate system where uh, uh, you can get various networking kinds of certifications. But, but uh, Microsoft has them, Novell has them, Intel has them. So, um, and a lot of technical societies have them. So, so they're kind of more specific than a high school diploma. And so, we actually argue that maybe we should be thinking about uh, a much larger certification system uh, instead of the kind of testing system we have now. The thing about certifications is you you um, you take them when you're ready, and you can take them. Uh, uh, over and over until you, you can pass them. And then the, we have the internet cafes all over the world where, uh, I mean, uh, I suspect there's a lot of Chinese kids out there that want to get rich like Americans, so they may go to internet cafes and gain lots of skills. So, so these are things, they're incoherent. They all started on their own, and they don't form a system, but they, they are learning uh, opportunities that are occurring with technology, and they're growing fast. And we need to start thinking systemically about how how we can begin to utilize these these tendencies. Alan, your point about learning centers growing into high schools, I think, is really important. High schools are the weak link in the chain of the of the sort of comprehensive school system in the United States. I mean, by by the time you're 13 or 14, your interests really take over. And if you're interested in moving, using high school as a means to a, a larger end, with maybe college or a career, then high school can be a productive thing for you. But there's very many kids that they just don't see the value of it. And they're of an age when they're seeing the value of it is a, a huge deal. So trying to transform learning opportunities so that they link into kids' affinities is going to be a critical design task of the next century. I mean, high schools are, are already having, especially in urban areas, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent dropout rates. 
And one of the the um, uh, the consequences, I think, the near-term consequences of No Child Left Behind is by focusing early reading skills on decoding and text manipulation the way NCLB has done over the past eight years, when those kids come of age in the next five or six years, we're going to have tremendous problems in high schools as kids really have, don't have any functional literacy skills. And they're going to have a very difficult time trying to create meaningful affinity spaces in high schools the way that they're currently configured. So things like learning centers right now may be too expensive, but there's going to be lots of opportunities for design, both digital and and face-to-face -face interpersonal design to help create the kinds of high schools that engage adolescents in meaningful learning experiences. Yeah, I actually envision learning centers as as conceivably having people of different ages all working with various computer uh, programs for, lear for learning to pursue particular certifications they might want to get. So, so I can imagine a mixed age groups uh, with a, a kind of uh, not a teacher but a, a, a person who, who works with people to help them uh, pursue their particular uh, uh, um, certification goals. The interesting thing about that example, I think, is we already have really good, robust models of that kind of learning in game spaces. So if you go to like a World of Warcraft guild chat or a common uh, 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 a raid in World of Warcraft, you see multi-aged, multi-skilled people from all around the world coordinating their schedules to work together towards a common goal. It's killing a dragon, which is not that similar to algebra, but the social structures and the information networks that underlie the activities are sort of the ideal learning environment that you'd want. It's just that it's typically now not targeted towards the kind of things that we think schools should be aimed at. Is commercialism one of your core concerns? Yeah, I mean, this links into the equity issues, but uh, um, I, so I'm more concerned about the commercialism from the point of view of of uh, people buying big advantages, uh, which I think that the uh, middle class folks in America are doing, and the poor and minorities are not doing. So. So that's my major concern around commercialism, but but there is this. I mean, it, it infiltrates subtly a lot of what's uh, uh, going. <laughs> what and I guess commercialism is is much more rampant in television and and uh, and and the media than it is in in educational resources, but but. But now we're making education even more commercial. That's probably not a good thing. I, I agree with you, Alan. I think that um, that uh, commer so we live in a in a capitalist um, uh, culture and a capitalist economy in the United States, and and all knowledge is commodified, and all and and almost everything that schools deal with has been passed through some producer, and schools are treated as consumers. And I think. 
one of the one of the issues of schools taking advantage of these new technologies is that the people who believe in the kinds of learning that our public schools typically provide need to have a voice in how the technologies are developed and implemented. The, the sad state of affairs now is that, you know, public education is, is in the United States has been one of the, the, the great social inventions ever. It's robust, it's, it's versatile, it, it, almost everybody goes to school. Um, it's, it's really quite a, quite a success story from the 30,000 foot level. The problem is that the people who believe in public schooling are being locked out of the technology development um, um, discussions, mainly because we can't figure out where that where it fits. And so, so entertainment our entertainment and business concerns are taking over the development of information technologies, and schools are really being left behind, which creates a, 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 a commercialization gap, much like the one that Alan just talked about. Okay, so this is where we typically uh, turn to Q&A in the session. Uh, while I'm describing this, uh, Rich and Alan, if you might, sort of a final question for me would be, can you see a path to the third era that uh, you feel would be productive and, and one worth uh, our talking about as a group? And while you're thinking about that, I'm going to talk to the participants here. If you have a question, you can put it in the chat. Uh, Jane, if you've collected any questions, this would be a good time to raise your hand and let me know what they are if, if something was asked that wasn't uh, brought up. You can also raise your hand using the hand icon with the green up arrow at the bottom of the participant window. And you can take the microphone and actually ask your question live. So it looks like Leonard has a question. Leonard, I'm giving you the mic to turn your mic on. Click on the larger mic button in the audio area. I'm not quite sure what's going on with you there, Leonard. But uh, Jane, uh, why don't I give you the mic? If you'll raise your hand, I can give you the microphone, and you can actually ask it through, uh, unless you don't have a mic and you want to put it in the chat. Go. Hi, Jane. Can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Yes. Hi. Okay, I'll I'll quiet down. I have a very loud mic, which usually isn't people's problems. Um, well, there were um, several themes that arose in the chat as you were talking. And um, one of them was, how do you see the fit of project-based learning for driving better and deeper learning? Um, it's, uh, the assumption is that you know, if we're working in a constructivist environment, in a rich environment that has all the technology that we might need, then um, we would have a better result. So how do you um, address project-based learning? Well, I'll, t I'll take a crack at it. Um, I actually think that that a lot of the simulation-based systems do encourage project-based learning, and maybe that's the way that technology feeds project-based learning. I also think that, um, I mean, so I've been an advocate for project-based learning, but it has problems, I mean, because very often it doesn't it's not clear what the goal the learning goals are for the students so they think they're doing things without quite knowing what they're supposed to be learning from it but i think that having uh kids using the kinds of tools 
that computers offer to accomplish tasks is important. There was a nice project at, at Northwestern um, that Luis Gomez did where um, uh, the students were, well, let, let me give you one school where they, they learned to create web pages. And so they, in, it was a small town in Illinois, and they were um, building web pages for the various businesses in the town. And so they were learning, <laughs> reading, and writing, and, and sort of collaborating uh, to produce uh, useful products. And so I, I think that kind of project uses technology in a very productive way to, to accomplish real purposes. But, but also there was a, a project in, in, at Cass Tech in Detroit where uh, the kids were learning GIS systems and um, learning to, to use those systems to work with various businesses. So again, a, a very productive use of, of project-based learning in a technological environment. Yeah, Alan's point about goals, I think, is really well taken. Um, uh, goals linked right to assessment. How can you tell whether the goals have been achieved? And I think in public schools now, uh, the, the current obsession is with discrete goals. And so it it's becomes very difficult to do project-based learning that you can untangle to, to fulfill you know, discrete assessments in specific kinds of skills. And when you move towards uh, more digital representations of student learning, like you know, videos or projects or, or simulations that students build, you start, to under, you start to really capture how different learning goals can fit together into a composite project. But our current assessment technologies in schools aren't there yet, especially in public schools. And so it's really difficult to, to do that deconstruction for many schools. Thank you. Um, I think your point about having um, um, really clear goals in mind uh, makes a lot of sense, and also the tools can support us in understanding, you know, what we're looking at. You know, what we've got evidence of student learning. You know, just because we're documenting the process with these tools. Um, another question was. Um, on this slide, you have about seeds of a new system. You don't mention anything about the, you know, adding fluidity or flexibility to the school day and school environment. And that was just a comment um, that maybe that should be added. Um, schools should give access beyond school hours and beyond kids. Um, and maybe that's part of, um, I think maybe we should let Ann Patrick pick this up. But she was saying that one of the other seeds of a new system is um, leveling the playing field. And um, maybe she'd like to elucidate. Um. Okay, let me let me just make one comment about that. I think that the seeds of a new system is not ought. These aren't these aren't what a, a new system ought to be. When when Alan and I were putting this uh, section together, we looked around and tried to figure out well, what are people currently doing with technologies now that are opening up different ways to think about learning. And so the next stage is so how ought we develop these things? Things like. Um, Creating new, more fluidity in the school day, or, or the you know uh, leveling the playing field a little bit. But I think the purpose of this slide is just it's a survey of interesting things that are happening with technology and learning currently, not what they ought to do, but what what they actually are doing. I got the definite feeling that, that this list were 
where you were seeing trends of, of learning on the fringes that was different than traditional schooling that could either inform or possibly displace traditional schooling? Yeah, that's how I would characterize it. The, and so the there's no are, real valuing no of these valuing them. Um, in terms of um, expecting that they're um, the places of where we look or we um, expand. Right. There's they they are these are trends. They're not things that are necessarily good or bad, uh, but they are happening, and they're happening outside of schools. And as we try to think about what kind of educational system we want to have, we we need to start thinking about these things and how we can reconfigure a, 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 an educational system that incorporates what's useful from them and and sort of deals with what's what's uh, bad about them what what leads to problems so Jane's asking me to give the mic to Ann Patrick and then to Dean so Ann if you know how to use the mic you're welcome to turn yours on and Leonard, while we're waiting for Ann, Leonard's question was, are there any other books that you're reading, besides the one you've obviously done such a great job writing, that you feel to recommend? Well, if uh, Rich isn't going to take it, I'd certainly recommend James, Jim G, uh, or James Paul G's book on, uh, on what people learn from games. Um, I, I'm also, uh, well, let me stop there. Uh, my colleague David Schaefer here at Madison also wrote an interesting book about games and learning. And there's a great report that just came out. The MacArthur Foundation has done a series on, on digital literacy. And there's two outstanding papers by Henry Jenkins, who's a media scholar at USC. Both of both of whom, both of which are are really nice surveys of what's the current thinking in in the areas of uh, digital learning and media. Um, both of those um, both of those papers give you lots of sources of places to look if you want to delve into, you know, uh, production or customization or any any of the sub areas that that we had talked about. So just a little plug for our interview series. Henry Jenkins was on last night, and oh, Jim, great. G is, Jim G is coming on, and I think he's in December or January. But so those are great recommendations, and if you read those books, you should have some fun listening to the actual interviews. And if you want to put the link up, you, you mentioned a colleague's work there, and if you wanted to put that link up, uh, please feel free to jump so we can yeah. look it up. So Anne, did you want to did you want to grab the mic? Just a couple minutes left to go. When we finish the session, we're going to let Alan and Rich go. So because they've they've uh, committed that hour and we're grateful for it, but we'll I'll do about a 15-minute uh, post session uh, informal discussion. So you're welcome to stick around after that and talk to each other. Okay, and if you're not going to grab the mic, then Dean, did you want to grab the mic? I've given it to you. What you need to do is just turn the. There you go. There you go. There you go. Hi, I'm Dean from Australia. Um, my question is, and um, how how you will see that the increasing convergence of games, consoles, and handhelds, how how you're going to actually see how you see 
the way that's actually going to change the way um, students experience ICTs away from you know, say des desktop computers and uh, and laptops. Um, as we're seeing, you know, things like Xbox and uh, things like that, increasing we have access to Facebook and places like that. Do you see that as a fundamental change in the way that, that students actually experience ICT in schools? Well, I, I think that it's already changing. I mean, there's just there's, uh, many students, teenagers, but now even you know younger kids have such versatility with virtual distributed social networks that you know if you look at like the, the, the Farmville game on Facebook right now, which is just you know taking Facebook by storm. It's basically a, a you know a, um, a real-time strategy game distributed all across Facebook. Um, you know, every Club Penguin for little kids. Wow! Um, almost all games have multiplayer um, functions, and it's really transforming uh, the, the the nature of social interaction that kids see. I mean, it used to be the critique of video games was that there were largely adolescent boys who went down in their basements to play by themselves. But uh, it, it's it's you know I, I think. One of the interesting things that Alan mentioned before about how World of Warcraft may be changed, maybe um, uh, creating the next generation of learners. Um, uh, I think there's, I mean, there's definitely something with uh, with how kids who grow up playing games and, and participating in digital media environments think about the world. There's a good game, a good book called Got Game, and I forget the authors right now. That's one of the first stabs at trying to figure out how the world of 20-somethings has been shaped by, by immersion in video games. And I think that kind of research will, will continue. Dean, did you want to follow up at all? We've got, We've two, got minutes. two minutes. No, that's great. And thanks, thanks very much. It's been, it's been really fascinating to, um, it's the first time I actually come to a session where people have actually been talking about people like um, G and talking about games and how games are changing the way that kids are socially interacting. And I think a couple of years ago, we would have probably sat here listening to people talking about blogs and wikis and podcasts. So it's been fantastic to to hear this insight um, around that, that that area. So thank you very much for answering my question. Yep. Thanks for listening in from Australia, Dean. We sure appreciate it. Okay, probably time for one more quick question. Uh, Jane saying from. The chat man asks, where are the easy ins right now, Alan? There is so much momentum in place right now that it seem, can seem daunting. Where can we start? And let's have that be our last question. I'm, I'm sorry. I missed a critical word. Where, where, do you just want to know where we, we can start changing things? I think that's the intent. Yeah, OK. So my answer to that question is, that we need as a society to start thinking, asking different questions about, uh, I mean, how can we develop uh, computer games that teach mathematical reasoning, that, t that teach reading that for young kids that, that don't have parents that read to them. So I think that we as a society need to be trying to uh, Provide materials that are interesting, uh, web tutors that that emphasize things like mathematics and and um, uh, history, uh, uh, even environmental issues. In other words, 
we need to develop the technologies outside of school that can support uh, self-directed learning. And um, it, this, this is, it's going to be the people that sort of take responsibility for their learning that are going to succeed. And we need to, to open up opportunities for, for not just the elites of our society. Let, let me take one comment on let that let me take one um, comment. Uh, from an institutional perspective. One of the interesting th things that's happened with No Child Left Behind in the United States is, is how seriously schools have taken a commitment to using technology for assessment. This is a, an unprecedented thing in American schools. Fifteen years ago, there was no common understanding about how we should measure student learning. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could figure out a way to translate that capacity for technology-driven assessment to measuring the kinds of things that we know matter about student learning? So if we already have a considerable embedded base of technology for assessment in schools, one of the questions I think is really interesting, and it may be a good place to start, is how flexible is that capacity? In other words, how much can we make assessment technologies capture the kinds of learning and production that can take place in digital spaces that we know are indicators of good learning? Um, in, in recent years, assessment has driven the school agendas, and it would be really interesting if we could get assessment to drive a more constructivist agenda that would support technology-based learning. Okay, that's a great okay, note to finish on. I'm gonna, uh, Alan, did you want to say one more thing? Well, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, that was a great point, Rich, and, and thank you for having us. We enjoyed it a lot. It was great. Thank you. So I'm clapping for you. If you'd like to clap for Alan and Rich, please do so using a little clapping hand at the bottom of your participant <laughs> window. Thank you both for coming tonight. Thanks to Jane for taking notes and asking questions. Thanks to everybody who came from all over the world. Uh, we know that in different time zones it represented different uh, obstacles to being here, but we appreciate your being here and participating. The recording of this will be up tonight. Uh, wherever you saw the original notice, you should be able to find the recording. Um, and if you'd like to stick around for the chat, we are going to have about a 15-minute decompress where you can uh, talk to each other. We don't expect Alan and Rich to stick around because they've been generous with their time. But for those of you who want to stick around, we can let you have the mic. When you do leave the session, you will find that a survey pops up uh, for futureofeducation.com uh, interview series. Please fill that out and let us know how we're doing and or what we could do to, uh, to make the series better or, or, or people that you'd like to hear from. Okay, so final thanks, Alan and Rich. Really appreciate your being here. Thank you. Great book, by the way. By Highly the way. recommended. Highly recommended. And when you're ready to go, all you do is close out the window or go up to file and exit. All right. Don't need to do anything more than that. Sounds great. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Rich. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so how did we do tonight? That was really fun. The book is available. Is the book available by Kindle, I wonder? I think that came up in the one of the questions. You can post about these sessions anywhere you'd like, Paula. If you want to get the weekly listing, I do a once a week uh, newsletter. It comes out both through Classroom 2.0 
and through uh, LearnCentral.org. If you if you subscribe to either of those services, you'll get my weekly listing, and then I try each day to, to kind of blast them out a little to give them a boost. But this is a good audience tonight, and uh, really a lot of fun. Obviously, the topic um, touched people who are interested in being here. Anybody want to grab the mic and make any comments? Ken Robinson's going to be in January. I think it may be January 6th. Good. Yeah, I do, we do promote the Saturday sessions. And uh, Peggy, if you're still here, you're welcome to give a shout out for what you're doing there. I don't know if Kim was here tonight. I don't think she was. But Peggy George, Kim Case, and Laura Costantini run that show. Yeah, sorry, Greg. If you do subscribe to a couple of those places, you end up getting duplicate messages. So I apologize. So the book was really, you know, took each chapter was in great detail and really well documented. Um, I'm, it's definitely a book I'm going to be taking with me on my next trip uh, to kind of read through the portions that I skimmed over. Uh, I just didn't have time to, to fully dive into each section, but uh, I was really intrigued by it, and it really felt like it was um, a well-done documentation of what's taken place and, and what we can uh, be thinking about in the future. Okay, so I don't know who's, who raised their hand there, but that might be you, Deb, and I'm going to give you the mic. Everyone else. I am fascinated by the comment about assessment being the driver. And I've watched this happen. Do you have ideas on this, Steve? And then how do we take the force of the assessment driver and then switch it, which was what I think the gentleman was suggesting? Well, so what I took from that was that in the same way he was talking about what technologies are, are going to be able to be brought in to the schools, was that you look for the existing way of thinking, and then you, um, you apply your efforts in that arena. And so is that what he meant by assessment? And that assessment currently is kind of the, um, the, the, the buzz. And so if that's what people are using now to think about education, that you, um, you come in through that door? And that's an interesting door because our assessment is on, we do one, the, um, one assessment online, and then we have our state testing. But we have so many different assessments that, that measure so differently that the data is very hard to use to inform instruction. Yes, we use NWEA, Greg. And you're going to know a lot more about it than I am. Now, Sandra and Leonard, I've given you mic capability if you want to grab the mic, and L.C. Selvage as well. You may, you may have been clapping when you and you actually raised your hands, but if you did want to take the mic, this is your chance to do so. Just click on the microphone button in the audio area. I'm not sure who asked for the slide, but maybe it was you, Thomas. Did, is this the slide you were looking for, just to get the title of the book? Yeah, 
So one thing I didn't read in the book, and I meant to bring it up, but we ran out of time, was I didn't really read anything about uh, the globalization of education and global connections. And I felt like, at least for me, that's been on my mind a lot lately, just the ability for students to be connecting with students in other cultures and, and how dramatically that changes things. Elsie Selvage, you have a mic. Oh, no, you're turned off. But you're welcome to turn it back on. And Susan, if you'd like the mic, you can take it by turning your mic button on. Hello from Alaska. Steve, I'd be interested in a session on trying to figure out, uh, like Eric Siegel earlier was saying, it's kind of confusing all these opportunities to connect thinkers and, and sites and all the things that you're involved in. Even if, Steve, if you just did a simple session on this is what Future Vet is doing, this is Learn Central, this is <laughs> conversations.net, it'd be interesting to uh, hear about what you think is the best way for uh, a, uh, somebody who's concerned about all this to move forward in terms of self educating about what the possibilities are and where the where the best conversations are actually happening besides here. Well, that presumes I actually know what I'm doing. So one of the things I've recognized about myself is that I'm, uh, uh, I have a desire to share. So the moment I discover something that I feel makes a difference uh, for me, I, I'm just as a part of my nature, I want to help others to do it. So. Um, you know, part of what's exciting for me about future of education and, and conversations.net is the idea that other people would actually sort of be in a position to start doing webinars as well. And I see that as, as producing a, you know this really rich opportunity for a lot of professional development activity. Some very specialized, and some obviously more broad. Um, but I, to say that to to indicate in any way there's a master plan, I think might be a stretch. Future of education just uh, was an idea to actually have a series. Um, I had done a series a couple of years before on open source software and education, and I wanted to expand that and and have it be a little bit fresher and and not necessarily just talk about open source, but move really into and not just even about the technology, but move in discussions like this. Conversations.net uh, is going to be, uh, I hope, a little separate, and it's all of the books that I have on my desk that I'm reading that aren't really about education, but are about the changes in culture and society because of the internet. And so I'm looking forward in the new year to really kind of ramping that up. And it'll probably be a daytime series, not not necessarily in the evening as much, but but books that aren't specific to education, but are really related to uh, technology and life. So I hope that's enough of an answer. And you know, the other thing we can do is here, and, and it was brought up in the chat, and Matt was talking about it. Is um, if you go to learncentral.org, which is the project I work on for Illuminate, we have this. Environment. It's, it's a group called the Host Your Own Webinar Group, and you can schedule in the calendar there and hold a public webinar. As long as it's public and free and educationally oriented, you can uh, hold a webinar. And I'm really hoping that people will say, hey, this is of interest to me. Steve, I know you're doing something else, and, and uh, I'd like to kind of take this ball and run with it. So if there's a series you'd like to do, or even just a discussion topic you'd like to talk about, I'm going to encourage you to email me, and I can show you how to do that and put it on the calendar. And then it'll go out to my mailing list as a part of that weekly email. So hopefully, we give you a chance to talk about the things you want to talk about. Hey, if anybody's still left listening from Australia, uh, I'll actually be in Australia next week. 
uh, go to uh, Perth uh, next uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then I'm in um, Melbourne uh, for four days after that for a conference. So if you're there and you want to connect, we'd love to do so. Yep, Sue Waters is taking care of me, I think, in Perth. So I, I'm going to put my email address down, and if you're if you want to meet face to face, feel free to email me. So, um, Greg, one of the things I'm trying to do is to take that free workshop we do, the Classroom 2.0 workshops that are free, and you know, systematize it so that we can do them more often. They're supposed to be once a month, but they're ending up not being once a month. And um, yeah, so Cheryl Nussbaum and I are speaking at the same event in Perth. And so that'll be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so I, uh, I'm kind of looking for people who want to kind of take that program and run with it, because in part the idea is um, not to have them be dependent on someone like me or someone else coming, but to show you how to run a professional development program, or, you know, workshop locally using a wiki that, that uses the the expertise of, of local people. So feel free to email me on that. Uh, we are, we're thinking it might be kind of fun to put together a handbook and then show people how to do that. Good night, El Salvador. Thanks for coming, Jen. So Steve, love to have some book discussions on not-ed books like this. Yes, I absolutely agree. That's what conversations.net I hope will be. And you've probably noticed that I'm a little bit of a domain junkie. I also bought the domain name uh, bookdiscussions.net. Bookdiscussions.com actually has a cost associated with it, so I, <laughs> I didn't want to do that. But I registered Bookdiscussions.net, and I'm, I've sort of been looking for somebody who kind of wanted to take that ball and run with it too, because I think it might be kind of fun to have the same environment just devoted to discussing books, both educationally oriented and 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 not. Sandra, thanks for coming. Yeah, and you know, Deborah, I want to drill down on that just for a minute. The book club idea is really interesting to me because if you did it in conjunction with uh, like a Ning network or a discussion forum, then part of the idea for me would be that you don't actually have to be reading at the same time as someone else. I'd love a place to go, and I realize there are some really good book sites already that do this, but I'd love a place to go at least around education and to say, okay, reading, rethinking education in the age of technology. I'd love to go in and have discussion forums for each of the chapters and be able to go in and read the previous discussions and participate, but not have it be time-bound. And the problem with Ning is Ning doesn't do groups very well, so it would be really hard to have it be the book and then the chapters and have it be organized well. So it would be, it would be nice if there were a better for, you know, a format for that. James says, Steve, a hybrid with a loose schedule can work. Yeah, what environment. Is there a distributor of the book in Brazil? Where can you buy? Uh, which book? They're rethinking education? I don't know. But I'm going to embarrass myself right now and speak very poor Portuguese. Oi, Lika, tudo bem? Foi uma. Well, now I can't even remember what to say. I guess that's all I'm going to say. 
my 25 years of not speaking Portuguese actively make me shy. I gostaria de falar mais, mas não tenho muito oportunidade de falar. Deborah, okay, a book club in Illuminate. Well, let's do it in Learn Central then. Let's figure out a way to do that in Learn Central. Lalika, you're you're complimenting me where I don't deserve it, but I I'm still going to accept it. Is the lady still on from Alaska? I don't remember who she, which person talked, but I just wanted her to know that she's not alone in trying to grasp this and wanting to get on board. Okay, well, this has been really fun. What a fun crowd tonight. Uh, very international crowd. I really appreciated that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna close the room. Sure appreciate your being here. Please feel free to contact me by email if you have any ideas. Gonna look forward to Deborah getting us started with the book club. And if you want to do a webinar, go to learncentral.org and ping me. And we'll keep going tomorrow night. Larry Cuban, if you're interested, or of course it'll be recorded. He should be another fun interview. I interviewed him two years ago. And fascinating perspective. Okay, so we'll close up tonight. Uh, you can just close your window, the full limit window to exit. We can go to file and exit. And if you're not out in the next couple of minutes, I actually will kick you out so that the recording can process. Thanks for coming, everybody. Good night. Steve, will you contact me on that? Oh, I was meaning to let you carry that ball. <laughs> Will you give me a hint? <laughs> so I've got to, I leave Saturday to go. I'm going to two other places before I go to Australia. So let can we can we touch base again on that in December? Absolutely. Then let's do it for sure. I'll make a note to to email you when I'm back. I'm sure you'll see. Well, I'm sure you'll hear me again. <laughs> good, good. I love it that you participate. Okay. Good night, everybody. Steve, I emailed you about professional development certificates through the rest of the sessions. I know you're wicked busy, but being that it's sort of a professional learning community and people are trying to get their continuing ed credits, the um, Saturday sessions, the gals have put that in and it's awesome. I know. And so uh, um, the, the biggest difficulty for me is that it just it would require actually the time. I think they've, they've promised to do it and I know it's been work for them. So I, I, what I'd love to do is to look for somebody who'd like to volunteer to do it. I can get the names through the survey, but actually producing but you the certificates. I, I think, couldn't that be, I mean, I don't, I know enough PHP to get be dangerous, but couldn't it just be generated from a button if somebody clicked the button if they wanted professional development and provided their email address? Oh, it sounds like you might actually know what you're doing there. No, not enough. <laughs> Honest to God. I mean, I'm dangerous. But what I'm saying is, like, the people who have developed Illuminate and, and that um, sheet that comes up, 
I would think it's the programming code can't, I, I mean, something tells me that it should be sort of like an auto-generate. Yeah, where if you I'll, put your email I'll definitely, I've in. saved your email, I'm going to put it on the list. You know, the, the truth is I would have a very hard time adding that to what I'm doing right now, but I'm hoping that when I bring it up in a meeting at Illumina, Right. I would think that they would be... No, I mean, I could see how your plate is like... Your many plates are very full. But I would think that they would have the opportunity of really just... It, it wouldn't be a big deal for them at all. Well, I think it's a really good idea. And I, um, I'm i glad you emailed it, and I have it in my to-do list. So uh, when we touch base, we'll, we can do both that and, and think about the book club. Okay. The idea also came up when I read your white paper with regard to um, districts. That would be a selling point if it would control or generate professional development certificates, because it's um it's a secretary nightmare. Hey, we're just going to be thinking. Yeah, good job. <laughs> you have a great trip. Oh, and is thank there, you. Is there something tomorrow night? Yes, Larry. Yeah, Cuban. Larry. Okay. Well, you have a great day. Well, I'll probably see you tomorrow night. Good. Bye. Thanks, Steve. Good night. Lilik, I'm sorry about that. So does that, um, if you go to futureofeducation.com and click on the, the link say for tonight's show, there should be an international time link. And um, is it is not keeping track of daylight savings time in Brazil? Okay, good night everybody. You're going to get bumped out. Sorry to do that to you, or you're welcome to just exit out of the program, but if you, if you see that you get um, kicked out, you'll know why. Take care. <laughs>